Welcome to our second broadcast of the IFC's podcast, the Individuation Podcast. We have a special guest today, and she will be explaining to us how and what the uses are of the Myers-Briggs typology. We're also going to be talking about how the Myers-Briggs typology uh, interacts in the world and how it does not um, interact in the world. So without further ado, I would like to introduce our special guest, Gabriella. Gabriella, please tell us about yourself. Well, I am a licensed life coach. I'm a certified MBTI practitioner, and I have been in business for 15 years. I have had many different jobs. I am a wife and I am a mother, but fundamentally what I like to do is help people understand themselves and create success in their life through that greater understanding. I've been um, very, very interested in the Myers-Briggs because as a young girl, it helped me understand why I do what I do. And it basically said, you know what? There's nothing wrong with you. You're just a very small part of the human population because we don't need a whole lot of you. What you bring is so high quality, we don't need a large quantity of it. So, so your mom thought there was something wrong with you. What, what did she think was wrong with you? <laughs> she thought I was mentally ill. She thought I might have um, emotional problems. She actually thought I, it might be biochemical, an imbalance. And so she took me to all different kinds of therapists and counselors. And, and they would talk to me for a little while. And they would eventually just hand me back over to her and say, she's not really fixable. And some of them would say, she's actually not even broken. She's just weird. Mm. But they wouldn't explain to her in detail what it was that was going on inside of me. But when I took a, an MBTI test as a third grader, I understood that, well, these are the different parts of what you do and how you do it and why you do it. And it all made sense to me. No, that's fascinating. So you took the MBTI at Age, third grade. Yeah, I was eight years old. You were eight years old. Yes. Okay. Because the first time I took it, I was a college student. So right. It's and very it's, interesting. It's very common for adults to take it for business or school or... Um, but one of my teachers, she was actually very laid back and she was very cool. And she said, you know what, today we're going to take a test that no one can fail. And the class got very excited and I thought, okay, well, here's some kind of strange questions. They're very random questions, but what the heck, I'm just going to be completely honest. So when I read the results, I was fascinated. It was explaining things about me that None of the questions even talked about. How did they know these things? And how come, if this piece of paper knew everything about me, how come all these experts couldn't understand it? And I thought, ooh, this is really good. I want to learn more about this for my own happiness and for my own satisfaction. I continue to study psychology and um, theology and sociology as I was going through high school and I went to college. And it didn't really consistently explain and validate things that people did. And so as I understood myself through these different letters and through these, it's actually a philosophy. Then I got married and I had children. It helped me understand my husband and it helped me relate to my children. Because you know what? It's really nice to have good times with your, your spouse and your kids. It's even nicer to not have conflict. Because when you understand how people work and why they work in that way, then you're more accepting and you're more open to negotiating and being flexible with how you interact with them because you understand it's really great that they're that way, even if it is totally different from you. 
That's great. I love that. Tell me more about philosophy. What do you mean it's a philosophy? Explain that to our listeners. Well, it's based on a sort of um, mindset, a belief that human behavior is made up of four different fundamental um, components. There's your social energy, there's your primary focus, there's your decision-making process, and then there's carrying out the decisions that you've made. Well, as dichotomies, you've got one or the other on each of those levels, that's up to 16 different personalities. And so it's based on the fundamental belief that even if your behavior may modify as you go through life with nurture, your fundamental nature is not going to change. So um, what I heard you say was there are 16 different types of personalities. So um, you're talking about, so each four letters represents four different ways of being in the world. Yes. So the first one you called, what did you call that? Your social energy. Your social energy. Tell us about social energy. What is... What does that mean to people? So if they want to understand what social energy means, how can you explain that? Well, we have a lot of energy, personal energy that we interchange, that we exchange and that we share with the people around us. When we're interacting with them, you're either an introvert or an extrovert. That means if you're an introvert that you create energy when you are alone and you interact with people by spending that energy that you have inside of you. If you are an extrovert, you absorb the energy from other people that you're interacting with and you spend that energy when you are alone. Interesting. So you're not saying that the extrovert leeches off people's energy. What you are saying, <laughs> because then some people are going to interpret, interpret it, it that as way. extroverts are leeching off other people's energy and introverts, you know, they contain their own energy. So. Um, that's not what we're saying. What we are saying is that the recharge is external. Yes. And for the introvert, the recharge is internal. Right. Mm. And the energy that they spend with each other is very interactive. There's an interchange because energy is a very constant motion. It's just a matter of do you get more of it by being directly personally interactive with people or do you get more of it when you are alone? You are going to absorb other people's energy and you're going to share yours all of the time. It's just a matter of which one you do more naturally. So what we're talking about is psychic energy, is that correct? Yes. Um, we're talking about how psychic energy, um, how we understand psychic energy as introverts and extroverts and how it affects us. Um, so uh, what is the second um, thing that you uh, spoke about what is the tell us about the intuition and the sensory okay yes the fact is we have five senses that are very very active at all times Mm, and what are they they are vision smell taste touch and hearing okay so we have all of those things going on at all times and then we have our mind that's processing those those tangible experiences by creating complete thoughts and reactions and feelings towards those different activities. Just because we've got a mind going a mile a minute doesn't mean that our senses aren't completely active. It means that we are either going to focus conscientiously more on one or the other because they're very different 
functions, they're very different processes, and they are all very important. We are just going to choose, we are going to prefer focusing on one more than the other, the external of the physical senses or the internal of the processing of the things that the senses create. Very good. So um, we're talking about extroversion, introversion, and then we're talking about sensate and intuition. intuitive. Yes. Now, but just keep in mind that the letters delegated, intuition is the I, extroversion is the E, but intuitive is also starting with an I, so we're going to delegate the N to that. That's the second letter. And then the S for sensory. So you're either E or I, and then you're an S or an N. Okay. Okay. And now the third The part third dichotomy of, yes. is how you make decisions. Mm. You are either... What do you call that? Thinking or feeling. Okay. Okay. So if you are a thinker, you are going to make decisions based on information, facts, logical reasoning, analysis. If you are a feeler, you are going to make decisions based on other people's emotional pleasure. Can you can you expand on that? Yes. Because that sounds uh, titillating in a way. Um, <laughs> I think people would be very interested. What, what yes. does that mean? To, Absolutely. Because yeah. the fact is, people say, well, I'm both. I do both. Well, you know what? It would be great if they both were the same thing at the same time. But you know what? They're not. If you're talking to someone and saying, what would make you happy? It's not always going to make sense. When you have to choose what you're going to do, and if you have to choose between what's logical and rational and reasonable in an, an analytical way, or what's just going to make someone feel good, which one are you naturally more inclined to do? What feels more comfortable for you as a person? Life is going to force you to make decisions all day, every day. If you're a thinker, you want things to make sense. If you're a feeler, you want other people to be happy. That's very interesting. So you want other people to be happy. Why do we need them to be happy? Because when we're happy, we have very positive energy. And when we have positive energy, then when we interact with each other, we're motivating each other to become better people. So it's almost like a positive charge. It is very much so. And when you're a thinker, you really do want to do things that are going to create success in the world that will create positive energy inside of other people because you know that when the world is running smoothly, things run smoothly for the people and it creates happiness for them. But when you're a feeler, you know that the happiness that people feel will motivate them to help the world run more smoothly. They really are um, symbiotic, they're very complementary, but one is just about I'm going to create the situations that make people happy. A feeler is I'm going to create the happiness that will cause positive situations. Mm. Very interesting. So let's uh, let's talk about the um, the P and the J. Okay, now this is a really important one because people are very resistant to commit to one over the other. J does not mean you're judgmental. It means you are a judger, okay? And a perceiver is someone who really has the ability to look at a situation and go moment to moment, okay? So a but you said judger. Yes. So I think a lot of people are going to react when they hear judger. Yes. So can you, can you uh, explain that for our yes. A judger is someone who likes to have established standards 
very set rules, very predictable and consistent environment, and they really do like to adhere to the established standards and processes and philosophies that have been accepted by a group of people in a society. They want to enforce them, they want to adhere to them, and they really enjoy having that consistent predictability. A perceiver is someone who says, these standards are a good kind of a, a general principle, but they're not something that needs to be enforced in a hard, fast way that everyone has to completely stick to because that's not real life. There are situations and circumstances that say, you know what, in this situation, we kind of need to either tweak it a little or we just need to throw it out the window because it's not realistic and it's not practical. A perceiver knows that in life, there are going to be times and places where, yeah, that's a nice rule to have, but it's not real. It's real life. That's very interesting. So the MBTI, what can we learn about an individual from uh, their typology? What can they learn about themselves? They can learn that there are three different parts of being successful and being happy while they're successful. There's what do you do naturally very, very well to the point where you don't even need to think about it because you're so good at it. What do you... That's your automatic, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you just move around yeah. in the world like. And if someone told you to stop doing it, it would alter you in a bad way because you need to if, do it. If just, you could. If, <laughs> if you could stop doing if it. If you could, exactly. It's like breathing. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then there's the what is very easy for you to do well. Okay. Mm. And then there's the um, what do you feel very personally successful just in doing it as a person. Those are the three things that, you know what? This is your nature. Some things you're going to be able to do well, but they're not gonna be easy. Some things you're going to be able to do well, but you're really not gonna enjoy it. It's okay for you to say, you know what? It takes a lot of work for me to do this, to do it well, and I'm not gonna enjoy it. Well, that's okay, and if the people around you understand that there are just gonna be things that even when you are putting it all into it, you're still not going to do it well. They're going to be helpful and supportive and encouraging to you. There are going to be things that even when you do it really, really, really well, you're not going to like it. <laughs> you're not going to have a good time. And they can say to you, I understand why you're not enjoying this and I really appreciate that you're doing it anyway. And so that positive understanding creates example, proactive, if, 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 oh my if, 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 goodness, just yes. Just a small example yes. because people <laughs> kind of get lost. Like, like what would that be what would it look like it would be looking like um, an introvert going to a party mm -hmm. and being very socially interactive being mm -hmm. very verbal and very great energy mm -hmm. and and their extrovert mate going wow I know you are just suffering right now inside and I love you for doing this for me and when we're when we get home I'm gonna take care of you I'm gonna take really good care of you and that's going to encourage the introvert to continue to be open and willing to do things that are social that they would never want to do naturally. It's, it's usually, it's a party like that for me would mean like two days of not talking to anybody. <laughs> exactly. That's but I would have too. a great time. There you go. Even though I would be reluctant to go because yes. Um, yes. it requires that 
I become extro extroverted in yes. my and for me being extroverted I don't get a charge from the outside it's an internal charge so mm -hmm. I have to uh, internally recharge yes to restore for the three four hours that we yes had absolutely yeah. and and the <clears throat> other thing is when you understand things like um, and I'm an introvert as well. It's important to know that when someone starts talking really loud, an extrovert can go ahead and raise the volume and, and do what they need to do. An introvert would say, you know what? I'm really not comfortable yelling. I'll wait until you're done talking in order to take my turn talking or being interrupted. An introvert would say, I can wait until you're done <laughs> to say my complete thought. Please don't interrupt me because getting that energy to start the sentence again, it's a lot of work. Once I'm, I'm speaking, I can go ahead and maintain that social interaction, but just getting the momentum to get going in the first place, I'm not going to interrupt you. Please don't interrupt me. An extrovert might not even realize they just interrupted someone, and when someone interrupts them, they don't take it as a personal irritation. We'll just go ahead and keep going and keep the energy going because what we're feeding off of each other and what we're creating for each other is a positive experience and it's worth being interrupted or maybe having to vamp up the volume just to be heard in the first place. That's very, you know, I, I really like that example because um, on the one hand, um, I'm an introvert. On the other hand, I've spent so many years working <laughs> on being an extrovert yes. that I could pump up the volume. Yes. I still need the two days to recharge. Absolutely. But I could I I can uh, find my way in the world as a I could play the extrovert, but I am not the extrovert. Right. And yeah. that's why I explain to my clients yeah. and my friends that yeah. just because you may modify your behavior, it doesn't mean that your true nature has changed. It means you have developed and you've grown as a person to be able to do things that aren't necessarily your inherent nature because you know that it's worth the investment and it's worth doing the work. When you are rewarded in a positive way, you're more willing to do those things that really aren't your natural inclination. And that's why it's important to understand yourself and the people around you to say, you know what, I know this is hard for you to do. I'm going to reward you because I appreciate the fact that you've done something that isn't naturally enjoyable or easy for you to do. In Jungian circles, they call that the compensatory function. Exactly. Right? So um, we compensate for a lot of things in personality. Yes. So when you're introverted, you have to learn how to use your extroversion. When you're an extrovert, you have to learn to use your introversion. Right, if you're going to succeed in the world. Mm. Yes. And, and what does that look like? being successful in the world for you? For me, it means that what I do is in a positive and proactive way based on very mindful awareness. It's about knowing what I am surrounded by and it's knowing what I need to do in that particular environment. So if my energy is positive, it means that I've taken very good care of myself and I can bring a high quality of what it is that I'm giving to the world that means I don't have to necessarily overcompensate by giving an excess quantity of it. If people know that what I'm giving them is a very, very good experience, they are okay saying, you know what? What you've done has been very positive and it's been very good for us and you've made our life better by being this person that you are. Thank you. And I can go ahead and 
go on to something else or something different. If I know that what I've done is proactive and healthy and positive, then I have been successful as a person in whatever it is that I'm doing or wherever or however I'm doing it. So I'm, I'm thinking, can we um, have some fun? And yes. I, I can ask you about if you could um, take some people in the public eye and give them some, uh, give them a typology and talk yes. about their typology a little bit and how, uh, so these are kind of examples for our listeners that um, they get to kind of see what that looks like in the world. So would you, it doesn't have to be um, anybody you would like to talk about. Okay, well, when I'm thinking about people in the world, mm. the only people that I'm thinking like actors, well, not necessarily who they are as people because what we see is the shows that they're on. One of my favorite actually is Donald Trump mm. because he actually has the same personality as my husband. Mm. Um, there are great things. He's an ESTP. Mm. He may behave in a certain way in the public eye, but you can see the ESTP coming out in the things that he says and he does. The great thing about an ESTP is that they're very much about, I'm going to take care of the situation that I'm in right now. I'm going to do something that makes logical sense to me in this way, and I'm gonna fly by the seat of my pants as I do it. Well, that's really great because like my husband as an ESTP, one day I was in the kitchen sweeping up and I couldn't find the dustpan, and I said, where is this dustpan? I don't even wanna be doing this in the first place and he said don't worry about it sweetheart he went over to the living room and I said if you sit down and read that newspaper we're gonna have to rethink this whole marriage thing <laughs> and he said don't worry about it sweetheart and he went and got the newspaper and he got the edge of it wet and he put it down on the kitchen floor he stuck it to the floor he swept up the little pile of dirt that I had just accumulated he crumpled it up and he threw it away and I just stopped and I went whoa that was brilliant. <laughs> I am so very attracted to you in a carnal way right now because he has the ability to immediately look at the situation, look at the surroundings and say, this situation needs to be addressed in this way. And the nice thing about that is they can be very successful moment to moment doing what needs to be done, but they might have a hard time looking at the big picture long term the way an intuitive would and they don't necessarily take feelings into consideration the way a feeler would because they're an intuitive thinking perceiver. They kind of go moment to moment. You know what? They're not gonna necessarily stick to the rules. The great thing about it is they're flexible and they're smart in dealing with the right here, right now. And at the same time, that means that they're not necessarily going to make long-term uh, socially sensitive very um, big picture in a structured way. Those are all things that decisions need to be based on. But you know what? There's, there's a lot of different ways to do the exact same thing. Where are the strengths and where are the weaknesses of both? You really need to accept that the differences that people have, the strengths that they have, mean that there's gonna be pros and cons to both. I don't necessarily think that being an ESTP would be a good presidential personality type. They're more of a dishwasher, a janitor, a, a lift driver. My husband did lift driving. He never gets lost because he remembers everything going on around him. 
He knows how to immediately respond as he's driving to the people. He doesn't ever get into a car accident because he knows how to get everything in that moment done really, really, really well. Well, you know what? In certain situations, it's a good thing. In other situations, it's not so good. It really does have to do with your nature, what you're naturally good at and what you're just naturally not. And so we're not talking about being good and evil. We're just talking no, about how no. you are yes. in the world yes. and how you act and react. Because yes. in, in terms of Trump, um, sometimes what, what he does um, is experienced as evil in the world right? Um, and heartless. Um, right. By some people who may be of a different disposition or of a different personality. If they're approaching the world in a different way with a different perspective, they may look at that and say, that's a horrible decision. That's a horrible behavior. Well, not in every circumstance, not in every situation. And just because you have a different perspective of what it should be, well, you know what? 16 different personalities, there are 16 different perspectives. And the important thing is if you stay healthy and centered and proactive in yourself as a person, the decisions that you make are going to be constructive decisions in that context, in that circumstance. That means that maybe you would do better in a different context, in a different circumstance. I could never be a dishwasher because as an INTP, I literally can look at a plate and not see what's on it because I'm in my mind so much. So what you're saying, and if I got you correctly, is that we should have voted Trump as our truck driver instead of our <laughs> president. Which, okay. which is fantastic okay. because okay. I, I've, I've wanted to find a gig for him, but I haven't been able to figure out what gig would work for him. But he did very well as a businessman um, because he knows how to interact with people. Okay. okay. We'll that. <laughs> interact with people and he can motivate people to get things done. And that's a very important skill. So when it comes to other activities, he just, can't you tell he's always irritated? He's very, very irritated because actually a presidential position means... Maybe it's his diet. Maybe you, that's it. And I thought about that too. It, yes. could be, it could be his diet. It could be, um, you know, it could be many things. But one of the things that I see about him is that, I don't know, does your husband uh, cringe when you compare him to Trump? Have you done that before? Yes. Actually, he, he laughs because he knows that... The fact well, why does he laugh? Why, tell me, tell me why, tell me why he reacts the way he does. Because all of the things that Donald Trump is doing, he has inside of him going on. Uh -huh. The difference is, he says, "But you know what? I'm a Christian, so I can't insult people." Mm -hmm. Yes, he does believe that he is the most handsome man on the planet. Mm -hmm. He does love his own reflection. He just knows that he needs to modify his behavior. Yes, because. In the world, you're not going to get as far when you are a narcissist. But inside, he does feel the same way that Trump behaves. And he knows how to, uh, we'll say, motivate people in the same socially powerful way. He just understands that, you know what, there's going to be consequences to that behavior. So you need to modify the way you do things and you need to keep yourself in check. It's very important to know that every strength when it is out of balance becomes a weakness and every um, gift and talent 
in one arena means that the opposite end of that is just going to be very, very difficult. It's going to be very challenging. And he knows, my husband knows, that you have to grow and develop as a person in order to manifest your qualities in a proactive and a constructive way. If you have issues, if you have things going on inside of you, your personality is going to be more reactive. It's going to be potentially very hurtful and very harmful to people. It's really about personal discipline. Your behavior is about your character. Your personality is just about your nature. Those are two very different things. Your behavior, again, is about your character and your personality is about... Your nature. Your nature. And can you um, tell me about nature? What do you mean by personality of nature? It basically means that you are born with inherent strengths and talents and gifts and abilities. You do have naturally a capacity to do really, really great things. But if you've had experiences that have been harmful to you or um, challenging for you, then those strengths and talents and abilities can manifest themselves in a negative way. So when you have the decision as you grow up, as you go through life, to make a decision in a proactive way, in a healthy way, or a destructive way, I'll give you an example. I just had a, a really great um, idea. When my husband is very socially confident, that could be, I want all of the attention to myself. Well, that's great. You're good with people. That doesn't mean you always have to have all of the attention from all of the people. Okay, if, if he's not gotten a whole lot of sleep the night before, he's more likely to be here I am and look at me and this is what I'm doing and well that's actually not very nice to the people around you. If he's pretty if he's pretty calm and pretty centered, he can say, "Yeah, I like to have the attention, but I'm going to let you talk first and I'm not going to be completely focused on myself." And if I as an introvert am saying, "Okay, you know what? I'm just not really in a good mood right now. I don't care about anybody but myself. I'm going to isolate myself in my room." That's a very destructive because it's hurtful and it's harmful to the people around me. If I've taken care of myself personally that day and if I've taken care of myself profoundly as a human, I can say I really don't want to be here, but it's not about me. It's about being good to the people around me. I'm going to do something that's not comfortable because it's more important that I do good, healthy, proactive, positive things and I can do that if I take care of myself in a proactive and healthy and positive way. This is great. It segues into thinking about how is it um, that our typology mm -hmm. um, affects what we do? It affects what we are naturally inclined to do and it affects what we're really good at doing and it affects what we feel good doing. Those are all things that are going to determine whether we are conscientious and mindful, or if we're not, what we are going to want to do and what we are going to choose to do, that has a lot to do with what we end up doing. But when we're having something interactive socially with someone else, or not necessarily personally interactive with that person, when we are 
doing things around those people, we can say what they're doing right now is something that really, really they don't want to do or wow, they're doing it really, really, really well because it's naturally easy for them. We change the way we respond and the way that we interact with them. One of the examples that I give is with my children. Let's say I was in the kitchen doing some dishes and my child, my three-year-old child comes up to me and says, mommy, can I play with the matches? What would my reaction be? Well, I'll tell you what it would be. If it was my ESFJ son, those words, mommy, can I play with the matches, translate to, you know what, you're failing as a mother and I'm very angry with you and I'm gonna give you a chance to redeem yourself. I'm giving you a heads up. If you don't get your act together, I'm gonna light my house on fire and it'll be your fault, okay? I would turn around if he said, mommy, can I play with the matches and say, honey, okay, I'm putting the dishes down, I'm putting the sponge down, let's talk, why are you upset? If my ENFJ daughter asked me to play with the matches, she would be saying, oh my gosh, mommy, please, 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 to say no, please say no, because the, my friend around the corner is asking me to play with the matches and I just don't have the strength right now to tell her no because I don't want her to be upset with me. Please redeem me, get me out of the situation, rescue me. I would say, okay, honey, now, who's your friend? Bring her over. I'll say no to you in front of her, but when she goes away, we need to talk about maybe getting some better friends. My ISTP son, if he said, can I play with the matches, I'd say, is your bedroom clean? He's just saying, I want to look at something beautiful. I want to smell something interesting. I want to have the experience, maybe even touching the heat. I'd say, if your bedroom is clean, go ahead and use the ones on top of the refrigerator. And as soon as I'm done with the, the dishes, I'll go out and I'll play with you. We'll burn something really fun. That's right. So um, would you recommend that um, parents test... Um, use the Myers-Briggs for their children? Absolutely, because it would help them understand how their children work internally, how to interpret their behavior, how to respond proactively and helpfully to their behavior, and especially in communication. People ask me, well, they actually tell me, you're so lucky you got such a great husband. And I say, no, actually, I'm really lucky and I'm very fortunate that I understand what he says and what he does because we don't have 80% of the problems that couples naturally just have. We avoid them because we know how to interpret what the other one is saying and doing and we know how to respond in a way that they are going to respond to our response in a much more peaceful and a much more happy way. So if um, we get children tested for the MBTI, what type of things would we see that we don't see because a lot of them are not tested and not taught about their own strengths and their own weaknesses, uh, weaknesses or uh, what shall we call them? Uh, their own strengths and the, the needs to compensate for those uh, lack of strengths that they have. Instead of saying weaknesses, they're underdeveloped. There you go. Okay, tell me. They're non-preferences. Yeah. Um, well, we would see things like them isolating themselves in their bedroom. That's actually pretty normal for some kids. If, if one of them says, I need to spend 12 hours and please don't knock on my door, we would understand that as an introvert, 
that's okay and you need to not knock on their door and then when they come out say okay now you're going to tell me what was going on with you while you were totally and completely alone an extrovert you would say no okay what's going on i'm not letting you go into your room until you tell me <laughs> why you want to be alone for 12 hours mm. some people need medication some people need therapy some people just need you to take a step back and let them be as as a thinker or a feeler if your child cried a lot when there was conflict you would say you would know if they were a feeler it's because they genuinely care about the other person that they are wanting to not hurt right because because feelers genuinely do care about other people's happiness even from a very young age if they were a thinker you would say wow what are you crying about there's something else going on we need to figure out what's going on it really doesn't have anything to do with the other person's feelings yeah. or a judger for example my oldest one he's he's very much about mom you're not doing your job you need to do your job right mm -hmm. he was raising me when he was about two and a half mm -hmm. and he was micromanaging what i was doing that meant that he was off center in some way <laughs> when he understood that there were just certain things in his life that he could control and manage other things this is just about life teaching him how to accept things about life that were not controllable actually gave him a sense of personal control because he could say okay I can accept now what's going on around me I'm going to create that sense of stability and consistency in my own life and when I'm around people who do not have that same priority and that same mindset I can still be okay around them because I know that what I have for myself is important for me and it does give me what I need and I'm satisfied with who I am and what I have enough to go out into the world and be around people who aren't like me at all. So the feeling function uses um, that function to perceive and understand and relate to the world. The thinking function, um, I presume that the thinking function will do the same. Yes. But they will use more of a plus B equals C, C yeah. instead of, um, mommy, you're not doing this right. <laughs> right. And what, which upset, which causes uh, other conflicts between uh, people who right. use the feeling type instead of the thinking type. And thinking types have this issue with feeling types trying to Make people right well and making people happy it's like you understand that what you're saying oh here we go i'll use the example of love okay, okay. thinkers do know that love can be defined feelers just don't they just they think that feeling love is a feeling it's about your emotional response it's about your emotional need it can't be quantified it can't be qualified and it can't be defined a thinker can say no actually i know for a fact that the fact that I'm willing to make personal sacrifices, the fact that you create the emotions inside of me, the fact that I'm willing to do things for you, that's part of what love is. And they can say what we have is absolutely love because it goes off of this, this standard, this established standard that can be defined and can be understood. Whereas a feeler would say, if you feel good, it's love. Okay. So the feeling type is going to look at the thinking type and say, if you have to define it, then you don't understand there it. There you go. 
and the, and the thinking type will look at the feeling type and say, if you can't define it, you will never understand. There you go, exactly. So, so we use our gifts in a certain way to relate to the outside world, mm -hmm. and those gifts give us a chance to interact in certain ways, but they also hold us back because potentially, yes, because. If we don't necessarily develop those functions and those activities that aren't true to our nature, we don't necessarily want to accept that they're still important things to do. Like the thinking type, developing their feeling type. Yes. How would they do that? They would do, the thinking type would develop their feeling by saying, you know what, it's very important to accept that feeling is part of what fuels the world. And it's a vital element to the success of the world because it's what inspires people. It's what motivates them. It's, it refuels them. It doesn't necessarily have to make sense, but it still has a very positive effect on the world and the people in the world. So it's justifiable to tolerate. And it's actually something really fabulous to appreciate and encourage because it's going to be the fuel in the vehicle. Well, maybe the thinking is the steering wheel, but you're not gonna go anywhere if you're not really gassing it up with that kind of emotional pleasure and that happiness that continues to inspire people to keep on driving. This, uh, let's take an example of a feeling type. Okay. Would, what, what, who would you think of as a feeling type? Um, would Mother Teresa be a feeling type? I believe so, yes, because, because it's very important to someone like Mother Teresa to factor in the humanity of who we are and what we do and really reach them on that personally profound level at the source of what gives them the, the motivation and the energy. When we have our feelings and when we give the love to each other that our feelings create we actually have that within us some people would say well that's nice icing on the cake but it's not really something to to keep the world going well no actually it is it is the primary source of what will keep us interacting with each other and that's what keeps the world going we do need to relate to each other and we do need to just chill a little bit and relax a little bit and when we don't put that pressure on each other when we just say i love you for who you are and i accept you for who you are and i appreciate your love for me some thinkers would actually say you know your love is really getting in the way of us being productive it's compromising your ability to make a decision because you care way too much about what people are feeling and sometimes what people feel is just stupid but you know what a feeler would say but it is the inherent of what is going to propel us to continue to interact with each other and feel good while we do. And if we feel good, the quality of what we do is going to naturally just go up exponentially. Well, thinkers have this thing about feelers when they write, and this is where you can see they're <laughs> writing. Uh, feeling types, when they write, they write very, very differently than thinking types. Yes. Thinking types want to break things down and be logical and analytical and very much about the facts and the data and support it and make sure it all makes sense and it all adds up a feeler would say I can't explain it and it doesn't add up and that's what makes it wonderful that's the beauty of it and that's what inspires people to say this is great and 
you are absolutely free to feel anything that you feel. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to stop you. I'm not going to inhibit you. I accept that everything that you're feeling and everything that you're saying about how you're feeling is vital to the best possible world that we could live in. So we talked about the feeling and we talked about the thinking and we talked about the sensate and we also talked about the intuitives. Yes. And so on the ends, we have the extroversion, introversion at the beginning and then at the at the end, we have the perceiving, judging, the perceiving and the judging. Right. So um, how would conflict arise between um, somebody who is perceiving and somebody who has a high J? Okay. That would be um, the conflict. I'll give you a couple examples. A judger is very much about being on time. When you have made a commitment to be in a place at a time, it's important that you are not only on time, you need to be early. It's better to be 59 minutes early than one minute late. Okay. A perceiver would say, well, it, I get there when I get there, and as long as I haven't actually caused any damage, then it, it's not really a problem because stuff comes up the the traffic light took too long or i couldn't find something on my way out the door there are just things in life that are variables that you're not going to be able to anticipate or control and you need to just relax well a judger would say no the fact that you're relaxed is the reason why there's problems <laughs> <laughs> i um, me and my uh, best friend who passed away we used to always get into this uh, <laughs> argument over uh, where we're going to go for dinner. And usually by the time he makes up his mind, uh, most of the places would be closed. <laughs> so we always started the conversation okay. around at 8 o'clock and usually ended around 11 about where we're going to eat. And usually the kitchens in um, that small town would close down by the time that he would um, finally have um, something that he feels good about. Okay. which would take us and there's not that many restaurants in the city so it would take us round and round in circles and every time i would say that's it let's just use that one <laughs> and he would go well let's think about it i mean why do we want to instantly jump on that one why don't we uh, think about what we really want to eat i was like i don't care mike we just Eat. Let's eat. Let's move on. Right, right. right. So we would we would always get that, and uh, what happens is, and um, and maybe you could talk more about this. That okay. if um, the way you talk about your children, how you see their um, MBT types, and how you relate to them, is very very interesting for parents that might be um, having difficulty with the child and having conflicts yes. with the child yes. because their typology is different. Yes. So how, how, tell me about that. How, how do you see that in your work or have you dealt with it in your work? Yes, very much because a lot of the people who have come to me have come to me for one reason about their personal life and what it almost in, inherently boils down to is they're struggling with a relationship there is a personal challenge that they're facing with a particular individual that is affecting or infecting their performance either at work or with their money or with their health and so <clears throat> when they talk about what do you mean by affecting and infecting 
Affecting means it is impacting what they do. Infecting means that it's impacting what they do in a negative way to the point where it actually gets to them personally beyond what they're doing. So what you're saying is that the infection is internal. Yes. And the F the effect is external. External, exactly. And so when I'm talking to um, adults, I, I've actually had parents and grandparents come to me and say, you know what, you got to fix my kid. And I giggle. I do. I'm like, oh, this is going to be cool. Okay. And I usually end up saying to the child, you do realize you're going to have to raise your parent or your grandparent. And they say yes, because they don't want to accept that what I'm doing is not bad. It's just different from them. Yeah. Or a couple would say, I don't, I don't like what they're doing. How do I get them to stop doing it? And it may come back down to, well, actually, you need to just accept that you're not going to stop them from doing it. You can modify what you do interactively with them to maybe subdue it a little bit, or they may be willing to say, okay, I'm going to have to do this when you're not around. <laughs> but when you understand who they truly are and you accept what they truly do naturally, you then become accountable to them and responsible to them in your relationship to say, okay, is it worth it to me to do the work to work with you as, as your partner in this dynamic? So uh, we've talked about how people come to you and try to figure out how the dynamic works. So you teach people about their typologies and how to relate to each other or you explain to them what the typology is and how it relates to the other right but then you go a further step and talk about how it's um, part of your daily existence and that that creates conflict for you if you don't understand how you exist in the world yes and how the people around you exist and that's why it's extremely important to get yourself really centered and at peace and understanding who you are because when you like yourself and and you can say you know what these are the things that I'm really good at and I like that I'm really good at them and you know what these are the other things that I'm really not good at I'm gonna continue to try to do them because in the world I have to continue to do these things if I'm gonna get food and clothing and shelter right and relationships Um, but I I'm going to be forgiving of myself and understand or when I'm doing these things and I'm gonna put the time and effort to get really really good at them I'm gonna reward myself because I deserve it this was running uphill barefoot in the snow for me and I still did it and I did it really well and I'm gonna reward myself for me there are certain things that I have to do really just with a full amount of effort when I'm done I'm and I look at my husband, I'm like, you better give me something good now. <laughs> that could be that could be my favorite food. That could be a really great kiss. That could be words. Just you think I'm the greatest thing since sliced bread. So, um, not speaking of bread. No. But <laughs> when we uh, when we're talking about um, our preferences. Yes. Right, and what we mean by preferences is, um, am I a thinking type? Am I a feeling type? Right. Am I an intuitive? Am I a sensate? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Am I going to guess what's going to happen, or am I 
going to fix what's going to happen. Right, right. right exactly. So, um, people always ask me um, when I talk about something. Uh-huh. They say, how do you know? Okay. How do you know? Right. How do you know? Okay. And um, as an intuitive, mm-hmm. it's very, it's a very funny question to me. It's Why? like, because everybody should know. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. So the first question to me is like, how do you know? And I'm like, what do you mean? How do you know? Why don't you know? <laughs> what is the problem here? You should know what I know. Why don't you know what I know? Okay. So give me an example of the sensei talking to, um, I'm sorry. Uh, yes, the sensei talking to the intuitive. What would the sensei say to the intuitive? If the intuitive asked them, how do you know? Mm. They would say, because I've experienced it 75,312 times. Well, and intuitive don't ask those no, questions. No, well, yeah, Intu- actually, I, an, an I, intuitive I, I, might. I, I don't ask, how do you know? I ask, explain to me what right. you know. Right, and, Yeah, and that's the, my, the my sensory, tea. Okay, and the sensor would say, um, I don't need to explain it. The fact is, it has been a physical manifestation. That, by definition, means it's a fact. An intuitive would be, well, but I've taken the fact, I've taken it apart, I've put it back together, I've put it together with something else, then I've taken that apart, and then I've put it back together. A, a sensor would say, okay, but that's not real. Until you've done it, until you have physically done it, that's not real. And you can go in your mind, out into left field and back, you can go to Mars and back, it's not real. You actually have to show me with the physical experience, and then I will know that it is real. And it has to be something very consistently physical in the world in order to have value, practical value in my daily life. I like the fact that you can sit here and talk about theory for an hour, and that's just like watching, you know, Superman. It's entertaining and it's interesting. It's not real. That's just a fantasy. That's just an idea. That's just a concept. If something does not have tangible, functional daily value in my practical life it really isn't important and it's really not something that you should waste your time on it's a waste of time if it's not something that is pragmatic practical and a direct personal physical experience you know my brother does that a lot he's he's very very sensate in Mm -hmm. ways like uh, he'll look at my face and say, well, why don't you just give you a trim? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, it's my face, leave me alone. Okay. And he's like, um, are you really going to go out like that? Uh, can we just fix you up a little bit? I'm like, what is going on with you? And my hair is like, oh, no, let's fix you. So he's, he's very, um, and there are certain things that cannot be uh, left to their own. He has to... They have to be put in a box. That's a sensory judger, okay? Mm -hmm. Because they're very much about what's going on in their external world, and it needs to be very consistent Mm -hmm. and very disciplined and very predictable, and yeah, you need to do the right thing at all times. And there is a very, very black and white right and wrong thing, and if you're not doing something that is right, you are a bad person. (laughs) You are are fundamentally usually That's usually what he says. You're wrong, no. Okay. Uh, We got to, I was walking into work, and I said to him, I said, okay, why does this um, fire hydrant exist? 
Yeah, why? And he said, uh, I said, does everybody recognize that as a fire hydrant? He goes, it's right there. Yes. And then he kicked it. Yes. And he said, it exists. It's now real. let's move on. Yeah. And so I said, well, no. I said, what if somebody has never seen a fire hydrant and they come upon it? Then it wouldn't be a fire hydrant. Right. But his logic was, it's there. That's what it's there for. Your argument is dead. Right. On rival right. because it exists and therefore the outer reality of the world is um, is present always. Right. For the intuitive, the outer reality is very peculiar. Right. Absolutely. Because, like you said, the variables of people's thoughts and their feelings are inherently infinite. And so the subjective of what it could mean, well, you know what? The sensory is who cares and why are you wasting your time with that? We'll deal with that when it actually manifests itself. When it's a problem. When it's a problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And why are you why are you wasting your time uh, hypothesizing about something that could potentially in some way one day put we have, we have more important things to do, but you know what? That's how we got E equals MC squared. Mm -hmm. uh, intuitive thinkers yeah. love to take things apart and put them back together. They would literally prefer to spend seven hours and 45 minutes coming up with a way to do in 15 minutes, eight and a half hours of work. A sensor, especially a sensory perceiver, okay, would say, let's work for all of that time. Let's get everything done. Sitting and thinking for seven hours and 45 minutes is not only unproductive, it's potentially destructive because you've just wasted very good quality time. But for an intuitive thinker, if I got an extra half hour of work done just in the 15 minutes, I've done exponentially better than you. That means I'm more productive and I'm more useful and I'm more valuable. A sensor would really need just to breathe deeply to be around that. It would be making them so crazy because you've wasted seven hours and 45 minutes. And an intuitive is saying no because what I was doing with that time was very, very beneficial. Much more beneficial than even doing the physical work. So when, when me and my brother talk, I talk about how I see things mm -hmm. and he talks about uh, meetings and how he can't stand them. Okay. Um, I can't stand meetings for a different reason. Okay. <laughs> I can't stand them because they're trying, they have an agenda and I don't know, and I don't think it really exists and I think they're wasting their time and they're just going in a circle. Okay. Um, he hates them because there is no agenda. For him, there always has to be an agenda. It always has to be clear-cut, and nobody should be talking left or right. They should just stay on track. On track, yeah. So when we have conversations, I don't stay on track. I know. And he can't follow. <laughs> right. And he gets really aggravated and say, you're talking about something different. That's not what I'm talking about. And I... I, I have to be honest with you sometimes I don't know what he's talking about because right he's holding on to um, the bare essentials right for me right and the fact that intuitives are very random we have I'm gonna I'm gonna use the example of a puzzle 
we have a very much big picture approach to everything. Everything is connected to and related to everything else because it affects and is affected by everything else. And so when you keep the context, which is the big picture in mind, you can implement individual pieces of information in a big picture kind of agenda so that at some point, if you're thinking about this random thought and that random thought and this abstract feeling and then that really analytical concept, then you can say, okay, I've just taken a thousand different pieces and I have put them together. I have created an amazingly big picture that I'm going to use in a totally and completely different way than the original pieces would have been used if they were kept individually separate and mutually exclusive. Whereas a sensor would say, if they don't, if they don't have some connection directly to each other right here, right now, they are just little tiny pieces of nothing. They have no, no value inherent individually in and of themselves. But you know what an intuitive would say? Yes, they do because eventually they would come together and be used and useful in 27,300 different ways. And it's only a thousand piece puzzle. And a sensor would say, oh my gosh, I, I need some more coffee just to be around you because you're giving me a headache. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> my brother usually says I need a drink to deal with it. <laughs> to deal with um, <laughs> Yes. When I, one, of the things, one of the things that I noticed is uh, when I work, so I supervise students and we have two rooms and uh, they do therapy in each room. So I have like um, the rotation is six students and there's two students who take notes for the other two students as they watch visually. Um, we have a live audio uh, video feed. We don't record anything, but it's just for, it's a teaching clinic, okay. um, the Bastion Natural Health uh, Center. So uh, w when they come in, they come in at the top of the hour, I ask them to come back and kind of debrief and tell me how they're feeling. And because this is completely new, this is their first rotation in mental health or counseling. <clears throat> and I've noticed myself when I tell them something and they instantly go back into the room and they tell the patient what I was telling them, thinking that that's what I wanted the patient to know. Okay. That's not what I wanted the patient to know. I want you to think about that in terms of what the patient should know. But I don't state it that way. Okay. I talk about it as this is what the patient needs. And then when I finished talking about it, I noticed that my student would go in and like start saying exactly what it Recite and, verbatim, and so right? And so it was like the first time I saw it, I was like, what is wrong with my student? And then I, I realized there's nothing wrong with my student. There's something wrong with me because I am, I am explaining to them in my intuitive way yes. of how I see the world, how I color in between the lines, yeah. how I never use the lines and I'll cross them any time. Right. And that they think, well, yeah, Dr. El Samurai wants us to do this. And Dr. El Samurai doesn't want you to do that. He just wants you to reflect on what's going on in the interaction. And process it. Mm. Yeah. So part of the uh, thinking process of how we do the things we do um, is poorly understood. 
And thus, when we try to train somebody, mm -hmm. and you're an INFTP, <laughs> and I am an ESTJ, right. Um, right. it's an impossible task. There is no way an EST, ESTJ is going to train an INFTP. I'll tell you there. Okay. I would say that's 99% true. Okay. The 1% where that would be exception, right? An exception. I'm to an that. intuitive, so I'm right. going to make right. mass uh, right. kind of generalizations. generalizations. Yes, you are. And that's fine. <laughs> the way that that will be different is if the ESTJ can see on their functional order, on their literally their different levels of functionality, that it would justify their. Um, time and their energy and their work in a context of by doing that I'm creating more stability for the world they would say okay if I can see the practical daily value of doing it in an INTP way or an INFP way um, then yeah I'll go ahead and I'll put all of the work and all of the energy it's gonna make me crazy okay it's gonna be like running uphill for me but their primary motivation is but I want to create more stability and consistency in the world if what I'm doing is going to directly be proactively manifesting more consistency and stability and predictability in the world Yes, I will do it, but I really have to have a lot of reward and restoration and compensation personally, in addition to the fulfillment of purpose of my personality in order to continue to do that and to think that it's actually time well spent. So this has been um, very insightful because I, I am the, I do the, M the MBTI mm -hmm. for my patients. But there in um, psychotherapy for long periods of time, okay. I usually um, talk about it as a magic trick. I tell them about it and then I test them and then I show them that I already told them about it. Right. So, <laughs> um, but what's interesting is that if you, in your case, you solely use that as your tool? Well, I use that as my primary um, parameters. Okay. Of, there you go, of what I do for my clients. <clears throat> because I teach people, there are really four parts to me giving you advice on how to be proactively successful. One is, where are you now? One is, where do you really want to go? And the other is, how do you move through life to get from one point to the next, one point to another? And then the fourth is... Understanding your typology. Yeah, your typology. And then the most important is equipping yourself for success. You need tools and resources and opportunities and environments to facilitate your healthy movement of your personality. And you need a very honest look at where you are. And you need a very specific focus of where you're going. So what I teach people as their personality is 25% of what I give them as their personal coach. Mm. It's just, let's go ahead and keep everything that we're doing 
with that factored in because if you know your personality you're more willing to accept where you are and how you got there you really are going to have a primary focus of where you're going to go based on what will naturally be healthiest and most natural for you and when you equip yourself with the tools and resources you're going to maximize what your personality already has and fill the other little maybe little holes that you don't naturally with those tools and resources to ensure and restore yourself to guarantee success as long as you're doing what you need to do and I understand now why you were taking it back when I said um, the MBTI is like a sketch yes yeah. I, well, because for me, I was thinking, okay, does he mean that in S way or the N way? Because he, I didn't know. I didn't know your personality at first. It was. It was in the N way. It was it in the N way, and because I agree, I yeah. do agree yeah. with you. It yeah. is like you said. I think you said the pencil. Yeah, right? it's like a pencil I love sketch. that absolutely yeah. because. And when I tell people, if you're if you're flying to Las Vegas from Seattle, it's very different than if you're driving. It's very different than if you're walking. You absolutely can do anything. You may need to go ahead and fill in some of the stuff of the sketch. Yeah, because if you're if you're walking, you don't go on the freeway, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you can get from here to there. But you know what? If you're walking, maybe you can find someone whose personality is a car mm -hmm. and get in the car and say, hey, you know what? <laughs> you can, you can yeah. give me a ride because yeah. you're really good at this. And knowing that there are just going to be some things that you're going to do naturally in a certain way, you can say, okay, I really like that I'm doing things this way. Or maybe I need to learn how to master a skill that's very contrary to my personality. Or maybe I need to reach out to other people who are naturally very good at this and say, teach me or do it with me or maybe even do it for me. I will compensate you in some way that's good and healthy for you and your nature if we can quid pro quo. Don't you just love that expression? I, I, I do. <laughs> I, I like that expression a lot. <laughs> I, you know, um, so um, if people would like to learn more about you and how would they find out about you, Gabrielle? Do you want to tell people how they could find you? Yes. I have a website, www.infinitylifecoaching.com. I also have a radio show that's going to be starting in January. We're not in January yet. January 8th on BBS. This is only a week from now. Yes. Oh my gosh. How fast did that go by? You keep it's, saying January is a long time away. No, no. I just, I don't want a 2020 before it's time. I'm really anxious to write 2020 mm -hmm. on paper now. Um, but no, that will be, um, it's called Where Are You Now? And so it's going to be talking about things like MBTI. It's going to be talking about where are you in your life, where are you inside of yourself, and where are you in the world. So every, every time I have a show, it's going to be addressing my, to my listeners, are you going to look now at, at the world as a whole and your place in it, or are you going to be looking at your life in general, big picture, or are you going to be taking a really close personal look at right here, right now inside of yourself? That's again on BBS Radio. Dot com and the show is Where Are You Now? That's fantastic, Gabrielle. And thank you so much for coming and being interviewed for um, the IFC podcast and Individuation podcast. Thank you um, for having me. It's been it's been fantastic. We had some technical difficulties because uh, Aaron is not here to fix things that um, <laughs> I do not know how to fix. Um, but uh, it's great having you, and I really appreciate that you drove out all this way to come see us this morning and talk to us about this. And I'm very excited about your radio show. I wish you all the success in the world, and hopefully, we can have you back. 
to talk about how things are going and uh, what is happening in your world and what's happening on your radio show. And um, that would be um, fantastic. So um, thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, thank everybody for uh, being here today. Um, We greatly appreciate it at the Institute for Conflict. Have a good day.